0: Banning the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films, and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia.
1: Welcome one and all to episode 112 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where I can't help but wonder if there's no Hulk standalone movie because it lacks vision.
2: That or he forgot to pack his favorite pair of pants.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you've got a bunch of ripped ones. Although those are if those are still in, right? I'm you know, is the kids wearing those? Yeah, still?
2: we're still paying eighty dollars for ripped jeans. It's still a fad.
1: Why not? I'm James with them ar- alongside.
2: The Merc with one arm, Nick Battaglia, and man. Man, oh man. First off, let's talk about Gene Ha real quick. That was so fun talking to him about May last week. And uh, again, you got to pick up this comic when it comes out May 18th.
1: I mean, he's just so into not just his book, but just nerd culture in general. You Oh, can he's. Tell that he has dived in.
2: He is. You want to talk about somebody who has a love for Token? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if, like,. He has somewhere on his body, like the first page of like fellowship just tattooed on his body somewhere.
1: I mean, we were talking to him a little bit off the air about it as well. And I mean, this guy is a huge Tolkien fan and who knows, maybe our interview will actually influence the issues of May coming up because of what we said and certain things that we focused on. So I'm interested to see that as well. Who knows where he's going to go with this?
2: Right. And speaking of things that were interesting, of course, we did our live show from Fancy Escape, comps and cards on Aragorn Boulevard, Virginia Beach, on Saturday for Free Comic book Day, and man, it was a lot of, It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun.
1: I mean, so many people came out to get a bunch of the free comics and stuff like that. We tried to go over all the comics that we had there for you. And on the video, we actually showed, showed you some of the pages and stuff like that. If you want to relive that, you can still find it on Facebook.com slash Dan and Nerdy. You click the videos tab and it's right up there. Also now on YouTube, you can find those links at Dan and Erty 757 on Twitter. And we'll post them up again periodically. Also Dan and We've got them there too
2: exactly and i mean again free comic day it's a big thing for people who are starting to get into comics or have loved ones starting to get into comics you know and uh again you, you go out you get some free comics see something that interests you they have something for both adults and kids you know if you're an adult of course you have you know attack on titan and some other older comics you know captain america even you know if you have a kid hey pokemon is there you know you have grumpy cat and everything else and speaking of grumpy cat oh yeah. yes we'll get we'll get more of that in the next segment we'll get to more of that in the next segment but uh yeah that's that's gonna be really really fun release for for one of us but heading off of the weekend and of course you know this being you know the week that a lot of good a couple of good nerdy things came out deadpool of course came out on blu-ray and of course uncharted came out for ps4 man i bought uncharted at midnight and i'm not gonna lie it's so beautiful, and I know I'm not saying anything new because it's a PS4 game. So of course it's going to be beautiful. But of course, yeah. the story is just so much fun. It's not like your typical, yeah, you have your bad guys, and it's kind of a race against to see who gets to the treasure first. But it's not really like uh, an all powerful being or something like that. You know, it, 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 the way they do it is that you really make. You want to talk about an emphasis on family and just the characters in general. The characters they have in here with Nathan Drake and his brother and everybody else. You know, it's just—it's really cool. You really care about the characters, and it's a really interesting. Uh, race against time, and I'm not gonna lie—the uh, relationship Drake has with his wife Elena is like—I
1: want that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm
2: playing my future life. Yes. <laughs> but no, it's a really, really good game. I haven't finished yet. I think it's one of those things where. I'm trying to find how many percentage I I am through this game. Cause you know how Tomb Raider is like, oh, okay, here, I'm, I'm, I am i i got to be close, right? Nope, only 20% yeah, of the game is complete. I was
1: done like six times with that game and I t- it turns out I was not. But so what you're saying is, is that all the delays, all the stuff that happened behind the scenes, it was all totally worth it so far.
2: Oh, it's, it's totally worth it. The, the pushback and everything else, it's not buggy. It's, everything just, it's just works smoothly and The cutscenes, everything else, it just, again, because of PS4, there's no real jump in graphics really. Mm -hmm. It just glides into one another beautifully. And it's just a fun, fun game. Uh, I can't wait to see what happens at the end. And like I said, I I don't know how far I am. I can just tell, though, hopefully I might be. I might be halfway through it at least. Yeah, you maybe? hope you're halfway through it. Least... I see
1: the beard you've got rocking right now. That sucker's not getting shaved until you're done. It's
2: not getting shaved until I'm done. It's not getting shaved until, getting shaved until Tidewater Comic Con, which is also next weekend. Yeah, so. there we go. And the hair's not getting cut either. I'm going full hobo this week. Yeah, I'm going gonna,
1: I'm gonna to save the haircut too. I've been, Well, if you look at me, I've been saving it for a while. So. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of saving things, uh, something that I've been saving for a while, at least for the weekend, is you know Captain America Civil War. Well, we made a wager last week, and well, one of us won it, and I've been kind of savoring this victory. So, yes, James's review of Grumpy Cat is coming up next here on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's going to be a fun time.
1: Hi, this is Gene Haw, comic book artist and writer of May, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Well, it's that time, boys and girls, when we get our long boxes, we discuss what we're reading this week, and of course, it's brought to you by the fine folks over a fancy escape comics and cards at Aragona Boulevard and guess what? I would go first, but I have to collect on a debt. Now if you didn't listen to last week's show, here's why. James and I made a bet on how much Captain America's Civil War would make at the box office domestically opening weekend. I said 209. James said 215. Well, I was the closest, granted we both went way over because it made about 179, 181 million dollars. So Of course, James, losing the bet, had to do and read and review a comic of my choosing on the show. So I said, you know what? He's a dog person. What does he not like? Cats. So I'm going to have him review Grumpy Cat this week on the show. So, James, without further ado, (sighs) I think a little bit of a payment is due right now.
1: Yep. And in the form of Dynamite Entertainment's Grumpy Cat and Pokey number four. <laughs> which was written and drawn by various artists and writers, by the way. We'll put up a link to all that information at down because <laughs> I don't want to sit here for two minutes and read off everybody that was, was involved in this comic. And of course it follows the adventures of Grumpy Cat, which I think should have gone the way of the sneezing panda and dramatic look gopher by now. But what are you going to do?
2: <laughs> I just love that you're like, well, we'll just put the of all the names. Because probably just like you just want to get through this as fast as you can.
1: Okay, I will say, to, as respect to the writers and the artists, it's not that I don't care. It's just that there's a lot of you, and we don't need to spend two minutes listing off all these <laughs> names. I promise they'll be on the website.
2: <laughs> so without further ado... What did you think of Grumpy Cat and Pokey number four from Dino Okay, Dynamite? I'm
1: going to start off this way. The art was actually done by three different groups of people for three different stories. It was broken up into three different stories. The art was actually pretty good. I'll be honest. It was really good in detail. It was different, but it didn't feel like it was lacking. It's not like anybody threw in the towel or anything in one of the stories. So the art was very good in detailed. I will say that. Now... Just a little breakdown of all the three stories. The first story kind of deals with Grumpy Cat and Pokey going for a walk to... (laughs) Avoid the sound of the vacuum, in which they make fun of the dog, of course. (laughs) Because the dog's the psychopath, right? So let's just say hijinks happen, and there's a little part of the story at the end. The second story actually deals with the circus coming to town, and something gets involved with Grumpy Cat there. And then the third, which I thought was kind of an odd choice, to be honest. It is is May, right? Well, apparently the third one was actually a Christmas story, or an anti-Christmas story, depending on your perspective.
2: Oh, I, I thought it was going to be Grumpy Cat gets a sex change.
1: No, I, definitely not that. It, well, there is a little bit of a change in this third story, but it's not its not that at all. Now, I will say this. Yeah, Grumpy Cat is a douche in all of these stories, especially to his brother, but he ends up doing nice things at the end. And so he's, I mean, he's kind, yeah. It's,
2: it's kind of like a Garfield, are you saying? Well, kind of like he, that? Oh, oh,
1: I'll get to that.
2: Now, I get that this is a
1: kid's book, but isn't that kind of anti-Grumpy to me? I mean, you you know, the quintessential quotes that you see from Grumpy Cat memes and stuff like that, you get some of that in here, but then you end up being nice in the end. I mean, are you a douche or not? That's what I'm trying to figure out.
2: Well, because if you're somebody who knows the memes by heart pretty much, I mean, of course, anybody who has the internet knows of Grumpy Cat or should know and know the memes. All Grumpy Cat cares about, is death and destruction, and right. that's it. and, right. people and that does
1: That does not happen in this book at all. I mean, there's little flashes of that, but not at right. all. I did get a very Garfield feel from the book, but it's not nearly as clever and not nearly as funny as Garfield is. <laughs> right. And because, you know, Gar- Garfield does have a little bit of that grumpiness too, but there's still, you know, Garfield's got a good heart kind of thing.
2: Right. I felt like but, that's
1: what they tried to do here.
2: I and mean, here's the thing. So, you know, this is issue four, so is it is – Take it, because from what you're telling me, just the way it's divided up, it reminds me of the Minions comic I did a written review for for Titan a while back, and so like every story is different, so I take it, this is something, if you're a kid or somebody who's younger, is this something you can dive into without having to read one through three?
1: Absolutely. This is one of those comics where it doesn't matter which issue you get, you could definitely dive in right at any point and be fine. I do believe that the rest of them are broken up the same way, where they have at least two stories, if not three, in there. And, I mean, mm-hmm. if you were a kid, I could definitely see enjoying these stories. They The art was good. There was some fun in there, some definitely kiddish fun. If, but even if you're an adult that's into cats, this is not for you, man. It's just... It's just not. I mean, if you've got kids that are already that, that love cats and that are a fan of the whole grumpy cat thing, I could definitely see enjoying it. But not for adults. I'm sorry that I got And I, this is an honest review. I I would have to drop this. It's just it's just not for adults. But for kids, yes, I could see this being good for them.
2: Okay, well, that wasn't was that as painful as you thought it would be.
1: There were times when it was. Was it? There were times I really list. wish I
2: was there when you were reading it. And it I had had nothing really to wish do,
1: it really had nothing to do with them making fun of the dog and had everything to do with like, oh, really? That's the yeah. joke you're making, <laughs> or oh well now he's being nice? What the hell is going on here?
2: <laughs> this this just makes me so much happy because when I, of course a while back I had to review Big Bang Theory and it's just it's just this brings me so much joy and has brought me so much joy. Yeah,
1: thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Disney, for uh, for not making enough money on Captain America's Civil War.
2: Hey, hey, not my fault you didn't want to go see the movie twice in one weekend. Yeah, well,
1: it turns out it wouldn't have made a difference.
2: Exactly. <laughs> I've <laughs> well,
1: had to see it 20,000 times.
2: Right. Well, you know, it's time for my review. And this week, you know, I'm very much into the darkness. I, I love the Victorian era. I love kind of like the. You know, monsters and things that go bump in the night. And, you know, a show that's been on Showtime for a while now, of course, has been Penny Dreadful. And, of course, you know, tough high time that, hey, let's get Penny Dreadful a comic series. Now, this is, of course, from Titan Comics. And, of course, it's just called Penny Dreadful. And it's the first issue. Now, it's written by Christy Wilson Cairns. The illustration is done by Louis D. Martinez. And I want to talk about the illustration real quick. It's not like anything you've ever seen before in yeah. terms of how it's stylized. Um, for example, there's a scene where it looks like it's maybe a wintry day, and it looks very um, kind of like you've seen like the film on like a window, you know, when it's been like on a cold night and so stuff like, like that. Like frosted glass, kind of look. Like. very frosted glass, and a lot of the looks. It's just very. I don't know how to really describe it, but it's very unique, and it's just very, very awesome and different, and it has different feels to it. Like, for example, you get to, like, page 8 or whatever, and it looks very uh, comic book-esque, very uh, clean in a sense, but then you turn to another page, it's just like, people are kind of popping out of panels, and it's just stuff like that, and it's really, really unique and different. Now, here's where I kind of had trouble with it. The, I'm not somebody who. Now, granted, I do have Showtime, but again, I haven't really been able to watch *A Pain and Dreadful*. This is a book where the its one major flaw is it's not something you can't dive into if you haven't been watching the show.
1: Ah, uh, okay.
2: And that's the problem is that this feels like a issues five or six instead of issue one, and you know something that you know because in the beginning. There's references that are made, um, and honestly, I can't really it's, tell you what's what the story was really about because I don't watch the show. And it's—I would say it's more about her, you know, finding uh, this, this this child, this man, and there's a big reveal at the end. But when you know, if again, if you're somebody who hasn't watched the show, you're kind of like, okay, what is this why is this an important reveal? Um, it's not a bad book, and that's the thing. Is it's not a bad book given for what I've said because there are scenes with the certain monsters and ghouls and stuff like that that are really interesting, and they're really like uh, like wow, and then they really gauge your interest. But in terms of the story goes, if you're somebody who hasn't watched the show, you're going to feel lost, and it's not your fault, nor is it really the fault of the comic. It's just this is written for the fans, and I thought that this would be like kind of a jumping off point, but again... The problem with – you did a, a thing with Vikings or review, review for Vikings yes. a while back. Yes. A problem with adapting current television shows that are still on the air to comics is that you really can't have a good way of starting off uh, – creating a start-off point for people who haven't right. watched the show at I all. I will
1: say, though, that in that Vikings yes. comic, the, the beginning couple of pages of the comic – they told you who all the characters were. They told you what their role was on the show. And they kind of told you, okay, here's where we're at now.
2: Oh, see, there's not Before you
1: read yes. the comics. So that's what I was going to ask you if they had anything like that. They introduced you to all the characters. Now, granted, it still helps if you've watched the show. Because I've watched some some Vikings and I know, you know, kind of what's going on. So that helped. But, I mean, even IDW did an Orphan Black comic. Right. But I didn't feel like, and I've watched some of that, but not a lot of it. But I wasn't lost. When I read right. that. So because they, they made it like they made the comic its own story. And in the case of Vikings, they gave you the background before they went in. So I guess maybe they should have done that.
2: And, and here's my, my rating on this is that you know the art is just it's brilliant. Like it's something I love opening up a book, whether I can get in depth with the story or not and just be, fall in love with the art style of this. The art's the illustrations are just fantastic. If you're somebody who's not a fan of the show or you haven't watched the show at all. This is going to be a drop for you. This is something you you could skip because, again, there's a lot of references that are made in this book that you just will not understand. You will feel lost. It will cause you, like it did with me, to skim through the book more than really read and get get immersed into the story itself. Now, if you're somebody who has watched the show, this might be, I would say, a pickup, not a full pull because, again, I can't say, oh, yeah, because all people would like the show, you're going to like the comic. Because of maybe what's been covered on the show... There might be certain plot points where you're like, okay, I can kind of see this or that. But it's a mm-hmm. pickup if you're a fan, and I'd say if you're not a fan, it's a drop.
1: All right, I mean, I think that's fair, especially I mean, if there's no jumping-in point for new readers. How could you really rate it any other way?
2: Exactly. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of what we're reading, of course, of bringing brought to you by the fine folks over Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards and Aragorn Boulevard in Virginia Beach to come next. Well, we didn't mention it earlier on in this segment, And now the review is going to happen. Our full-on spoiler-filled review of Captain America: Civil War is coming next.
0: This is Ali Darkstar, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: I think this is an epic on-screen event that nerds have been waiting for for a long, long time. We've got Captain America, let's just call it Avengers Civil War. You call it Captain America Civil War you want. This one is an Avengers movie, and we're going to give our full spoiler-filled review right now.
2: Exactly, and so again, if you haven't seen Captain America Civil War, you you know, skip ahead because, it's, again, it's a spoiler-filled, but we're going to do this... Starting off with what we liked about the movie, then we're going to go into what we didn't like about the movie, and then we'll give our rating. So, again, let's start off with what we liked. And I think it's the big thing out there Spider-Man. They, they, Marvel finally, I want to say Marvel finally because it was in Sony's hands that was in charge of casting, really. But Marvel said, listen, we're going to partner up. We're going to have the, you know, the rights to Spider-Man in a sense, and we're going to have creative control. And it comes to the casting. Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man and Peter Parker we've ever had.
1: Absolutely. And you know, how this is one of those rare times where I got to see the movie before you did, but I really, I didn't want to give anything away at all. So, you know how badly I wanted to text you after the movie and be like, dude, we have our Spider-Man. Yeah. We have our Peter Parker. I was busting to be able to tell you that because, I mean, just the attitude Everything just worked so well.
2: Well, and also not to mention, he is a fanboy. Like he gets to the the airport, and he's like, "Hey, Captain America! Hey, hey guys! I'm I'm, I'm Spider Man!" You know, and it's like, yeah. Being that 16-year-old nervous kid, it's great to the fact that they actually casted an actual, like, 16, you know, somebody who's under the age of 20, pretty yeah. much, you know, he's to play this role. He's
1: supposed to act like that. That's what I don't right. think a lot of people understand. He's supposed to act like that. That is Peter Parker. That is Spider-Man. Right. I don't know what else people expect.
2: Right. And, again, throughout the entire time, you know, when he's going against Falcon and Bucky and, you know, he's, he's you know, talking smack and everything else. And, and they tell him, like, God, you're so annoying. And it's just... You know, it's one of those things. And again, the suit—I love how they explain the suit and why the and the whole thing with the goggles and the eyes and everything else. Yep. Because what happened? You know, with with his origin, his senses have been heightened so much. He's even said he goes, "You know, after what happened to me, my senses are at like you know a 12, yep. And so everything's adjusting. Everything's so heightened and sensitive that that's why his eyes are constantly adjusting, and and he has to wear the you know the goggles. And of course. Tony Stark gives him the Spider Man suit, but it's not the Iron Spider; it's the actual suit he has that you see in the trailer. Yep, and it's really, really cool. Like, and what I like about it too is even with Marisa Tomei as Aunt May, it just—you know what I'm saying? It feels lighthearted. It feels like everything you wanted in the Spider Man film that we're going to be getting with Spider Man Homecoming. But they really nailed this. Yeah, it's the
1: most organic version I think we've ever had of Spider Man.
2: And speaking of organic, one thing they didn't do is they didn't give him organic web shooters. He has non-organic web shooters. Yep. And that's what I loved about it too is that that's what drew Tony Stark to him when he was like, yeah, you got this webbing and it's like this real technology. And, you know, how would you do it? He's like, oh, I built this. I did this. And, you know, and the way they, they make it to where Tony Stark, it's not like he just randomly drops by. It's like, no, he knows about Peter Parker, how smart he is. And he just stops by and he's like, hey, yeah, this this – you know, Stark grant you applied for? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you, you know, and stuff like that, you know?
1: Yeah, and I love the interaction between them and that scene, too, because he clearly had no idea what he was talking about. That was just right. his way to get in the door, so I love that interaction. I think one of my favorite scenes of the whole entire movie was the scene with Giant Man and how there was oh, the a yeah, whole yeah. Empire Strikes Back thing, and they're like, how old is this kid? And Well, that, but also Spider-Man's
2: reactions. yeah. To, to, to his reaction to be what it was when you saw a Giant Man. and That that was great. And, and, and I'm totally say that unexpected. And, and Giant Man, the way they had him, it was great because it was like, Scott Lang's like, I got an idea, but I've only done this once, so I've never hurt myself in half. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I got to <laughs> tell you, man, he was another refreshing part of this movie. He is so good yeah. as Ant-Man. And he got a fanboyed out too a couple times. But I mean, once it got down to business, he was ready
2: to go. Right, and and that's and that's the thing is one thing I liked about this movie is that when it came to the new Avengers, in, in the newer faces, and also something we're forgetting is Black Panther. Black Panther was amazing. Chad Absolutely Bowsam, un-
1: unbelievable.
2: Just Chadwick Boseman, just really, just wow. You want to talk about a, a fierce, you know, character? It's Black Panther. You know, especially because of the way they had it where he's all revenge. That's why he wants to go after Bucky because he believes Bucky killed his dad. Yep, and. You know, from a new Avengers standpoint, like they, they felt fresh, and it felt the writing for them at least felt really interesting and everything else. You know,
1: I mean, it was almost page turning too. I mean, I don't want to jump to the end too much, but one of the end credit scenes that we get are actually towards the end of the movie with Black Panther and Steve yeah. Rogers. I mean, it was almost like a page turn in, in, a, in a kind of a, in, a, in a very interesting way about how they how that comes to connect with winter soldier and everything right. that happens at the end. And, you know, we're going to see two teams, but we'll get into that a little bit later on.
2: Right. And, and you know, one of the other, the other, uh, yeah. And cred sequence. And this is against a spoiler filled review. We get the spider signal. Yep. We finally see Peter Parker get the spider signal, which, you know, again, is like a warning. He wear, pretty much wears on his belt to much, Well, technically he gets on his web shooter, I believe. And, but it's one of those things where it's like, it lets people know you're about to get messed up because, yeah. uh, you know, Spider-Man's right there. But, We've, pre- I think, is there any other positives that you took from this? I, I think one positive I'll, I, I'll say is from a story standpoint. I liked how they kind of prefaced a little bit of the rivalry between Iron Man and Tony Stark and Captain America, Steve Rogers, and it wasn't just with the Sokovia Accords. It was, yeah, my dad created you and he wouldn't shut up about it, and he felt like if you were the son that he always wanted, and I right. wasn't. It. And it was one of those things where you know he, he's Tony Stark was the only child, but he's. Kind of getting compared to the super soldier, you know, this mm-hmm. this ultimate creation that his dad did, and it's like, it, there was some jealousy there, you know, because his they
1: addressed dad, the elephant in the room.
2: Yeah, and his finally. dad, yeah, and his dad had the where his dad had the fascination with Steve Rogers in a way that he never did with Tony Stark, his own son, you know.
1: Absolutely, I love that they finally played up that angle because I think as fans we all felt that already yeah. in some of the previous movies, but they finally just head on addressed it, and I like how they used that as part of. What built up the tension between the two, I thought that was very smart. So they gave you multiple reasons why they might have fought. The other positive that I had was, just in general, the action sequences and the fight sequences, they were just off the charts good. I mean, some of the stuff that they did, I mean, one, it was a very little thing, but when they're chasing Bucky... And the way he gets on that motorcycle... Oh, yeah, he just grabs it and
2: just... Oh, yeah. In one fluid motion. I'm like, are you kidding me? And here's the thing. I've I've been hearing a lot of people say, well, how can they maybe so fast as cars and everything else and faster than cars? It's like, well, Bucky and Steve have super soldier serum in them. Yeah, they're enhanced. and, And Black Panther's suit enhances his abilities.
1: Right, exactly. So, I mean, it's a possibility. And they weren't necessarily catching the vehicles. Plus, they were like, keeping up. And,
2: but really, I want to just tell you, like, really? You're watching a movie where you have people dressed as spiders and they're flying and swinging around and yeah. giant human beings, but yet you're like, you know, I don't find it believable that these three characters are as fast or as fast as ca- actual yeah. cars and these vehicles. These are
1: superheroes, guys. Let's remember that. <laughs> Not all grounded in reality here.
2: Right. You know, but, I, I, again, I, I think that even, and you mentioned the action scenes, like, you know, there was a there was a a comic, Avengers comic, I believe, or an Ant Man comic, where cover where he was on the Hawkeye's arrow, and they yep. had, they had that scene in there. You know, yep, and absolutely, and and uh, again, it was just there, the way that they amp things up and the way the fight scenes are, it really really works. Um, but with those positives, there are of course negatives, and of course, let's let's dive in with the the, the writing first off, and I think what the writing was, I don't know if it's because. These people have been around for eight years, you know, Iron Man, Cap, but I found whenever they were on screen, I found it to be not that very intriguing outside of the whole rivalry where, you know, Tony doesn't like Captain America because of his dad and stuff like that. I felt that when the newer characters, you know, Scarlet Witch, you know, and and Spider-Man or everybody else were on screen – it was felt more engaging and it felt more yeah. interesting. Whereas when you saw Cap and even Bucky and, and Tony Stark on there on the screen, you're like, eh, they're not that interesting really. Well I think the
1: Cap and Bucky thing we kinda of take for granted because we just it just seems like that's the relationship's so natural. So it's like you don't really see it as over the top. I still think that both of them separately, Chris Evans and Sebastian Stan, were both very good in this movie, but you're right. It just seemed like an afterthought. And I thought the movie got off to a really slow start. And I think that that's one of the reasons why was because of that interaction. It didn't seem fresh. It didn't seem new anymore. So to me, this thing just dragged on in the beginning.
2: Right. And and the thing is, you know, there's a, there's a major plot point we'll get to later on, but, um, the, the opening scene pretty much with, with Bucky and he shoots that car, you can kind of guess who's in that car in the beginning put two and two together, especially with the scene that comes after it. And the thing is with Tony Stark and he's talking about the whole, he's got that 600 plus million dollar technology. They not really did anything with that. It's like, okay, you're showing yourself at MIT people, but really what was the purpose of that scene, you know? Right,
1: exactly. It was just kind of there. It's like, it was it just there for him to get confronted at the end of, of with that woman whose son died? Was that the only reason that they put that scene in there and to let us know about what's going on with him and Pepper and everything? And I'll be honest, man. I know the I know their relationship in the comics, and I know that you know the history behind it and everything like that. So this is not the reason I'm saying this, but I just thought the interactions between Vision and Scarlet Witch were just weird. And I know they're supposed to be weird because they're not necessarily normal, but it just felt strange and off, and it just well, didn't work for me.
2: I'll I'll kind of defend that. I kind of like I like those scenes a little bit because remember Vision's only like six months old, right? So I yeah, that. you have to take that to a fact where he doesn't know really how the world works, really. You know, granted, he's Jarvis, but he doesn't, you know what I'm saying, he needs, he's still, you know, he's getting used to being in the body and having to eat and making food and everything else. Like, he's getting used to that. So, you know, and in the comics, you know, again, they were together in the comics and everything right. else. But, you know, it, it didn't feel as weird to me or really as, as off-putting. But, you know, I think that, you know, you mentioned how in the beginning of this movie it was kind of off to a slow start. When when well when Crossbones shows up in the beginning, and you're like, oh, this is a really cool scene. But then they do something which really I don't know for if, in a matter of fact, bugged you is that they killed off Crossbones right in the beginning of the movie.
1: Right. I have no problem with what they did to be to be the catalyst for everything that happened. I actually liked the execution there. But you you wasted you wasted a significant character with that i mean they could have blown up anybody else in that group but here's blow the thing. a major character like crossbones
2: and here's and this is why i i wasn't i, I the more i think about it, this is why I, I wasn't really a big fan of killing off crossbones because in the comics crossbones kills cap right and that's a big problem with this movie is that there was no real loss in this movie Right, you know? and, and the, the
1: Rhodey thing, you kind of thought that that would be it.
2: Oh, well, Rhodey's paralyzed. It wasn't right. like he got killed off. You right, know? I
1: mean, and it's not like you wanted him to die or anything either, but I just thought that yeah. th- there was missed opportunities there.
2: There was just no sense of loss. Like, there wasn't like, oh my God, this character got lost, now it's going to, you know, you know. And here's one thing with Agents of Shield. what they're doing, right, is they're going to kill off a character that's going to more likely change the entire dynamic of the show. Right. You know, Captain America Civil War... You're heading into Infinity Wars. Why not go into that killing off a major character and and go into Infinity Wars or whatever with that, you know, and see how that changes the entire team and everything else, you know? But no, there's no real loss.
1: And and what's funny is is that I'm not saying that they had to kill off Captain America in this movie to make it, you know, super successful. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that basically your loss to your point, that you put in this movie, was splitting the team in half.
2: Right, and can and I mention this? going separate ways. And can I mention this? The entire feud that's caused by Baron Zemo is the entire l- plot of Loki in the first Avengers movie.
1: Yeah, well, the funny thing about that is, is that let's just dive into that right now. I mean, I have no problem with the way that Baron Zemo was portrayed, but... No. There is a lot of stuff that, I mean, that would have had to work out just right. Like, you're telling me right now that on a random two-lane country road in the middle of nowhere, that there just happens to be a camera there, and that even if Hydra put it there, they know the exact spot based on speeds of both vehicles, where he's going to get stopped, and where this is going to happen? I'm not buying that for a second. Not only that, but how does he know? That the task force isn't going to kill Bucky when they go after him. I Granted, it's the Winter Soldier. I get that. But you don't know what they have or what they're bringing in or that even that he's going to know that they're coming. Right. Why did Hydra even keep this footage in the first place? Right. right. Why does it just happen to be there? I know that they keep stuff and they had that big records room, but why that? And how did he even know about it? And how did he know who they would send to question him?
2: Before he even got captured. Right. we're talking, about, of course, about Bucky before he gets captured and interrogated and kind of, you know, psych-, psych eval. And that's the thing is that there's a lot of that that doesn't, you know, get explained at all. And that's the problem. You know, you hear that people say, well, Marvel has a villain problem. And I think it's the problem because of how they set things up where a lot of things have to be like everything just magically goes right for the villain. Yeah. And then it's like, really? It's not really, you know, and then, you know, not much happening and, and stuff like that. And then I will say this about Baron Zemo, though. Daniel, you know, uh, Brule did a great job. Oh, he
1: did. No question playing.
2: about it. I liked how they made it to where the reason why he wanted to pretty much crumble the Avengers was because of his family being p- killed in the Sokovia attacks.
1: Right, and I do like that he they played the angle where he's like, I know from past experience that I can't beat them, so I'm going to let them beat themselves.
2: But again, there's a problem there because all they're doing is they're lifting the Loki's plot from from the first Avengers movie where he's like, I'm going to cause infighting, and then they will fight each other, and then stuff like that. Right, exactly, right,
1: exactly. I I do, it's just, uh, so many things had to work out exactly right, and I don't get how he knows how they would have worked out. That was my big problem with that. I mean, just so many things. And even in that scene where he does question Bucky and, you know, reawaken the winter soldier, how does he know that he won't get caught in that situation? And what if he does? There's just so many what ifs that they didn't address. Now if they'd have taken a couple minutes to address that, then then I would have been okay with it. But they didn't they just let so many things go by and just you get caught up in the action. It's almost like they want you to get caught up in the action, and the fact that you're adapting the Civil War story, so you'll take that for granted and just not care.
2: Right, and that's the thing is that you know, it's not. It's not. I don't think this is really the best Captain America movie. You it's know? not Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier is the best, Captain, it's America the best movie. Captain America movie. You know, and I think that the problem with this with this movie too was just like I said, the writing. There was a certain inaccuracies and certain um, p- major plot holes and just questions that they never really answered in it. But, I mean, also when, you, when you're watching it, when I was watching this, I'm like, there's a lot of words that are being said right now. I feel you can cut a good half hour off this movie. It yeah, this, be t- this movie ha- did not have to, have to be two and a half hours. No, you. no. Not at all. No, and there's, like, a few scenes in there and everything else, and I'm just like, ah, like, like, why, you know? There were,
1: there were scenes that were in there just to force humor in. Right, I thought, and and you have to have that. And I thought they had plenty of good moments of humor that weren't forced at all. But some of it was like, okay, you just gave me a five-minute scene to hit a joke. Right. And and you didn't need to give me that when you could have given me a 30-minute shorter movie that would have been condensed and wrapped up nicely, I think.
2: Right. And by the way, Stan Lee's cameo in this – His Deadpool one's ten times better.
1: Oh, absolutely. I did like the whole stank thing. Oh, I I liked the
2: the stank thing. That was great. I I
1: did like that, especially since, yeah, Rhodey's never going to let that go, for sure. Right, right. Yeah, I I did like that. There was plenty to like about this movie, but I think the frustration was is that you heard so many people say, this is the greatest Marvel movie ever. It's not.
2: The thing is is that this isn't a bad movie. It's just that there was, at least away from what we're talking, the way we, we feel about this, there was just a lot left to be kind of desired in a sense. Right. And, and there were certain angles that maybe they, we wish they would have taken with this.
1: Or at least get, instead of giving me an extra 30 minutes of stuff that didn't need to be there, take that time to explain the, the holes in the story.
2: Right. Right. And, and that's the thing, you know, and, and, uh, you know, but again, there were some good things like, you know, Spider-Man was great. The way they made, how they made you feel compassionate towards Zemo. Yeah. was great. It yeah. was fantastic. Yeah. But uh, I, I think that when you look at it, and, you know, of course it had like the fifth best opening weekend of all time. It had like a $179 million opening weekend. You know, I, you look at it and I'm just like, okay, you know, there comes to the need to be a part. I think this movie really showed me that there needs to be a change in the guard. They need to, this is where, okay, I think, and I understand, you know, Robert, you know Tony Stark's going to be in Spider-Man Homecoming and everything else. But I think we at this point, we need to see Marvel Studios kind of look at this and say, you know what? let's well, time to pass the mantle down to the next class of Avengers and, and have them go forward, you know?
1: And actually, you know, the future is bright. I mean, Jack yeah. Bozeman did great. Tom Holland was great. So, I mean, it's not like they don't have a future, but I and I think part of the reason, you know, you have to criticize this movie a little more is that Marvel has done this kind of to themselves because they've made so many good movies and they've made so many good choices that lately there's been some missteps because they've done so well in the past, and I think you're right. I think this is the time to slowly but surely... Start to kind of pass the torch, and now are we going to get an Avengers and a secret Avengers group with everything that happened with Steve Rogers? Right. Are they going to split that? Is that why Infinity War is getting a different name now? Are we going to go that road going forward? I don't know. I mean, there's certainly plenty of ways that they can do this, but I think that we do have, and and Scarlet Witch is amazing. Yeah, I mean, let's just get that out. There. Yeah, they now, gave her she a lot. Is absolutely minutes. amazing, and and the way that they gave her, they put her on a pedestal. Yeah. In this movie, I think was completely justified and, and they really propped her up. And I think that, you know, people are claiming for a Black Widow movie. I want a Scarlet Witch. Maybe we should have a Scarlet Witch movie instead. Yeah. I'm just saying.
2: Yeah, ex- exactly. Exactly. I, well, I think we've we've kind of talked about everything we can about Civil War, James. So let's give our, our, our ratings and uh, I'll have you go first.
1: All right. Like I said, there was a lot to like about this movie, and I think that... I mean, I don't want to give people the wrong impression that we didn't like this movie. I just think that there... You have to acknowledge, even when somebody does something really well, that there are problems with it. The action scenes maybe some of the best ever uh, if you're going to look at the action scenes as a whole. It was just fantastic. I do think that there are plenty of things about the story that were good. So I'm going to give this... Let's see... I'm going to give this seven busted arc reactors out of ten.
2: All right, well... You know, there's a lot of great things about this movie. It's a good movie. It's not a bad movie, but it's not the greatest. And uh, the action scenes are great. And the big reveal at the end, this is a big spoiler. We find out that Bucky is the person who killed Tony Stark's parents. And that, for me, even though it was spoiled for me on, thank you, Facebook. But even seeing that, I'm kind of like, okay, this is how they kind of got... Tony to hate and you know when you think that things are just being mended and fences are just being mended, this happens and I I like that, um, but again it did have some downfalls. There was a lot of plot holes, according to the you know it had a deal with Zemo and his whole plot and everything else. Um, again, I feel that I think they've gone as far as they can with Steve Rogers and even Tony Stark, and I think now they need to pass the torch down to the next you know groups of, of Avengers and next group of heroes with their movies and going forward. I'm going to give this 8 out of 10 red books with a black star on them.
1: Nice. I mean, that's totally fair, and I don't want people to think that we didn't like this movie, but, I mean, you got to be honest. It's not the greatest Marvel movie ever. It's just not. It was good. It was clearly an Avengers movie and not a Captain America movie, but it was was not the best Marvel movie ever, and I think that if you want to argue with us on that, it's just a byproduct of how many other good movies Marvel's done.
2: Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, especially you when know, you look at at the first Avengers movie and just how every movie pretty much since then has had to... You know, come to that, and even when Winter yeah. Soldier, had to be, you know on that end. And one thing I really wished that was that there was a, a huge loss for for in the, of the team or somebody to to you know kind of
1: yeah. have
2: that emotional impact. You know,
1: yeah, there were definitely a couple of missteps there. There was a couple of different things they actually could have done, and they just decided not to.
2: Exactly. That's going to do it for our review of Captain America's Civil War. Become next. We have a plethora of nerd news, including well, let's just say that Wolverine. Is finally going the route that we all want him to go. That's coming up next, right here on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This
0: is Victoria Atkin, the voice of Evie Fry, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Well, James, it's time that we take our shots of Animantium and see what's going on around the interwebs. It's time for what? Nerd News! Before we dive into our first story, we do have some breaking news that involves us here at the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It is official. We are going to be at Awesome Con, June 3rd to the 5th.
1: Yes, yeah, so we're going to be there covering the con. We're not actually going to have a table, but we're going to be all over the convention floor covering things. So if you're going to be at AwesomeCon, Con, you catch us. We're going to be wearing our Down and Nerdy Podcast shirts with our logo on it. Just come up to us. Talk to us about your experiences at the con. Of course, a lot of major celebrities are going to be there. We're going to try and talk to as many of them as possible as well. Get you all the inside information on... on you know, the the rap of Gotham and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., stuff like that. We might even get a chance to talk to Adam West and Burt Ward about what it was like to play Batman on that series. Ron Perlman's gonna be there. Maybe talk a little Hellboy, Carl Urban. Maybe we'll get some dread news out of him while we're there. Who knows? And hey,
2: Comic Book Man just got approved for a sixth season and Kevin Smith's gonna be there, so we might be talking to him about, you know, going forward. And of course it's true North series with yoga hosers and everything else, mm-hmm. so it's gonna be fun having a you know, nice little trip to, to D.C. for us.
1: Yeah, it's, gonna, it's, a, it's a big Event. If you've never been to AwesomeCon, just go to awesomecon.com, get all the information on the convention. You still got time to get tickets and all that stuff. If you want to go ahead on up there and, and check us out there and check out, I mean, there's going to be a ton of great vendors and artists and writers there as well. It's not just about the big celebrities. So there's just a bunch of, it's going to be a tastic weekend that weekend, June 3rd through the 5th.
2: Exactly. the road trip's going to be so hilarious. I can already oh, yeah. tell. But uh, going back to the news stories, of course, I mentioned Animantium in the opening. And well, we all know that Wolverine three is coming out. I believe twenty seventeen, and I believe that they actually tabbed the director from the Wolverine to come back as well. And you know, since Deadpool came out, you know, people were saying like, "Well, are we gonna get more rated R superhero films?" And according, of course, to some higher ups that are uh, involved with the movie, yes, Wolverine is gonna be rated R. And I think that this and this is a great move for a variety of reasons. I'll say this, and this is first reason why a lot of people say this is believed to be Hugh Jackman's last time as Wolverine, Wolverine 3, and also, from a creative standpoint, this allows you to do a lot more different shots, it allows you to show the stabby, stabby, gory, gory aspect of Wolverine, like, you've played the X-Men Origins Wolverine video game, and you know how graphic that game was, and brutal that game was, seeing it on a big screen now, thank you, Like, like, seriously, like, thank you, Deadpool, for... Pretty watch because, honestly, this would be a PG-13 movie, I think, had Deadpool not come out oh, there's no and question been about successful. It. Yeah, there's and no it,
1: question about it.
2: And so, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Because this is just, I think this opens up a lot more awesome doors for Wolverine 3.
1: Yeah, it definitely does. And, of course, this uh, collider caught up with uh, with all the people that were involved in this movie saying, yeah, it's going to be rated R. And what I actually think is kind of cool is said it's going to have kind of a Western feel. So, to me, that just lends more possibilities of this being Old Man Logan, like everybody right. thinks it's going to be, which I think, I mean, if you're going to go out, that's the way you want to go out. Now, what this also tells me is, is that they want to go out with a bang and mm-hmm. that there's going to be a new Wolverine soon. Right. Probably not, not like immediately after this movie, but it's, it's definitely going to be happening soon. And maybe it's going to be a Wolverine that we'll see in the MCU.
2: Exactly. And, and you know, that's the thing is that, you know, remember Marvel got rid of the Inhumans movie; they pretty much canceled it. They got rid of the release date. That means I think I've been saying this. I'm sorry if you're sick and tired of hearing me saying it. I think X Men is going to be coming to the MCU within the next couple of years. And you know, here's the thing too with this movie and why I love it so much: this allows them to bring in a lot more villains. And yes, one villain that I love and actually I would love to see him done is Omega Red. I would love to see Omega Red. I'm on actually the big surprised
1: they haven't done that yet already. To be honest, I think that that is a villain that needs to be put on the big screen, and that that villain has kind of like a cult following among fans. He's definitely a fan favorite that not a lot of people might think of. So I'm kind of hoping that that's the route that they decide to go in the future.
2: Well, yeah, I mean Omega Red. I mean also have, of course Magneto. Omega Red is my second favorite X Men villain. I love Omega Red, but again they're also saying there's going to be a future movie, which kind of set in the future as well. So again, it hints to the old man Logan thing and how futuristic will this be? You know, and how, you know, honestly, will this at all tie into the to the X-Men movies? We don't know, you know, because this whole continuity thing is kind of mis- mixed up there. Right, but. and
1: how far would they have to go? Because if anything, the right. X-Men movies have gone backwards, not forwards, as far as right. time is concerned. Well, so, you know. Well,
2: the X-Men, the X in terms of time, though, if you really think about it, like, you know, they're saying that the next movie after Apocalypse is going to take place in the '90s, but really, after a few days of Future Past, they've really opened up the whole alternate timelines. Right? That, you know, you can go back in time and everything else, so on and so forth. So, really, they weren't really stuck to a certain time period. But this, I think, is a great move by by Fox and everybody over. At for, they're working on Wolverine three and making it rated R because it's just it's going to be a lot more of what fans have been clamoring for for many, many years. But moving on to our next story, James, we're going from. The Fox Cinematic Universe, and if you want to even say, sprinkle a little bit of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, to the DC Cinematic Universe. Now, last week we mentioned how Seth Graham Smith has left the Flash movie as director and what will that open up. And we said, you know, DC needs somebody to come at the helm that's not Zack Snyder to oversee things. And, you know, see it this next door what it is you will, but... Ben Affleck is now an executive producer on the Justice League movie, and he's going to be working close, of course, with Zack Snyder and, of course, uh, the executive producer as well, and the writers as well. So, what does this say to you? Does this say, hey, maybe after Justice League Part 1, which is supposedly Zack Snyder's last film on his contract, that Ben Affleck will be taking over?
1: This tells me that Warner Brothers knows how good of a storyteller that Ben Affleck has been recently, and the Oscar chops that he has, and that He really dove in to this character of Bruce Wayne and Batman, and I think that they trust him going forward a lot more than they trust Zack Snyder, and quite frankly, I mean, whether you want to call it rumor or not, you know, Deadline reported the story about him being added as executive producer, whether you want to believe the story of whether Ben Affleck Turk took all the reviews of Batman vs. Superman hard or not, he cares, and I think yeah. they're seeing that, you know, whereas Zack Snyder, I don't want to say Zack Snyder didn't care. I'm not putting words in Zack Snyder's mouth here, but it's more of like a eh, movie made money. You know, I'm just going to keep for- going forward with what we're doing. Cause I think we're telling a good story. Whereas Ben Affleck said, this is not what I want. I yeah. want people to love these movies and I want to make movies that people are going to want to go see because I see the writing on the wall. If this isn't successful, I know what happens going in the future. So the fact that he cares, he has talent. He's a, he has a vested interest in the succeeding Give him the reins, man. Let him do something.
2: Well, look at what the movies he's done. I'll start Will Hunting, of course. Argo. Gone Baby Gone. The Town. What do all three of those have in common? They're ma- mostly based around tension, suspense, crime, and worldwide yeah, tragedies. Yeah,
1: you could throw a Gone Girl in there as well.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and that's the thing. You know, here's the thing. When he takes over for this, and you know, as, of course, he's like executive producer, he's been tabbed as, but if he does take over for Zack Snyder, this I think is going to be a, a shot to the system in terms of getting the fans back. Because I think Warner Brothers, I don't have inside sources, but if you just read the stories and you read the tea leaves of what's going on, I think Warner Brothers looks at Batman vs. Superman and they're panicking right now. And why, I mean, why remember this came out the same week that Seth Graham Smith left left and the rumors about, you know, James Wan leaving Aquaman, you know, and so this is a way for them to say, hey, we're taking Ben Affleck. We're making him, you know, an executive producer and kind of an overseer for Justice League. And, and remember what my main problem was, you know, my, my other problems with Batman or Superman and the whole DC Cinematic Universe. You have all these movies like Wonder Woman could be amazing. But knowing that it leads to a Zack Snyder project terrifies me. Yeah, know? I
1: get that. And I'll be honest, though, now that we're hearing the rumors come out, nothing's confirmed, we're hearing rumors that is going to be the main villain for Justice League. And I'm like, okay, it doesn't have to be Darkseid, but why would you go Steppenwolf? I'm not sure but also, why you
2: do that. Why would you tease the parademons and the... Uh, you know the Dark Side logo and Batman vs Superman. Well, logo, I mean, huh?
1: I, I, I'm okay with that because I mean they teased Thanos early on in, in the MCU as well, and they didn't actually get to him until Guardians, and then eventually but, well, Infinity War. But so if they saved Dark Side, which I actually think they should do after just throwing Doomsday out there, I would have a problem with that.
2: But here's the thing: remember, Justice League is a two part movie, so could Dark Side if something? Sub of could probably be the main antagonist for part one, and that could lead into Dark Side for part two.
1: Which you could do. You could absolutely do that. I mean, if they, if they, if they're playing the long game here, but again, if if what we're saying is true and Zack Snyder being forced out the door is what's really gonna happen, how much can you play the long game here?
2: Right. Well, speaking of long games, James, our third story. Deals with Disney Infinity. Now, of course, it has the toys. You can buy for about 15 20 bucks a piece. And it has, you know, it's a long-withstanding video game. A lot of people are kind of hooked on it. But, of course, Disney pretty much came out and said, yeah, we're not only ending Disney Infinity, but we're pretty much closing up shop in terms of video games as a whole.
1: This is going to cost them hundreds of millions of dollars to just get out of the video game business entirely and i mean i gotta be honest if i was somebody that played disney infinity and i collected all the figures and whatnot i wouldn't be happy right now because they just basically pulled the rug out from under their gaming and i gotta tell you i know this has nothing to do with it directly but if i'm playing lego dimensions
2: right now i'm a little nervous no but here's the thing though i think that's why disney's pulling out is because they've seen what Lego Dimensions is doing and how a lot more people are drawn to Lego Dimensions because there's just a much more variety of characters. And be- it's you know, Legos, it's-
1: quite frankly. And,
2: so. again, yeah, it's also Legos. You can build the characters as well. My cousins have Lego Dimensions. I've played it. It's a lot of fun. You know, I think they're looking at that and they're like, man... We have, we can't really keep, how much longer can we really keep this up? And, you know, not to mention the sad part of this, of course, is that there, you know, 300 jobs are going to be lost because yeah. of closed doors. Yeah. And that's, you know, really, really bad. You know, because they're, they're shutting down Avalanche Software, which is, of course, Utah based studio that was responsible for Infinity. And, you know, that, that sucks. But again, if you really think about it, what more could they do? And, and now, for people who are saying, well, what's going to happen next with Infinity, now that's being canceled, well, there still have, a couple of packs are going to be released up until June. Of course, May, they'll be releasing one for, I believe, Alice Through the Looking Glass. And then the second one's going to be, of course, for Finding Dory. But again, if you're someone who's played Disney Infinity, are you going to go out and get those two packs knowing that it's over? You know? I can't
1: imagine you would. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't. Think about the huge launch they just had for Star Wars Force Awakens with Disney right. Infinity as well. I mean, that is that is huge. And this this, to me, tells me... That this wasn't something that's been in the works. This was a spur-of-the-moment decision because why right. would you even put production in on the Alice Through the Looking Glass or the Finding Dory stuff if you knew that this was coming? This was something that they decided to do at the last minute. And you know what? And, and call me crazy, and I don't want to do, be all conspiracy theory guy or anything, but... Mm-hmm. When you look at what's happening with Nintendo and the NX coming out and stuff like this is a platform on, I know they have this for other consoles, but you, when you think about stuff like this and the Amiibos and the infinity figures, you think Nintendo and you think the Wii. So is this one of these things where Nintendo might be going a different route and Disney's like, well, if Nintendo's going to do this, we need to get out.
2: I think it's, it's a, it's a, it may be that, but I think it's also the fact that, you know, this is a this is something that I will agree with you. That's This is something that was not like, oh, we're planning that we're going to end it. No, this is, I think, very spur of the moment because I think they saw what the, the profits they were making, the money they had put into this stuff. And seeing that, you know, the market's very flooded when it comes to Lego Dimensions and Amiibos and other things as well. They're kind of going more towards that route. You know, where are we in the shuffle? And remember... This is something that's been around. Disney Infinity has been around since 2013.
1: Yeah, and that uh, there was a huge launch when they did it, too. Everybody was excited, and rightfully so, especially because it was the first time you could bring the worlds together, you know, everything right. under the Disney umbrella, and that was the cool factor. Well,
2: also, it, I think in a sense maybe saved them money or, or maybe it was more cost-effective because remember, instead of saying, okay, instead of developing new games that people aren't going to buy, really, and spending money in, in developing them for months or whatever, let's just create one game and have a new roster be updated like throughout, you know, as right. time goes on, movies right. are released, and make them all join up, you know, and stuff like that. And I think that will make sense. So it's, it's very shocking and kind of weird seeing what Disney, you know, when, what, why they're kind of pulling out of this. But I think, again, you look at the market, see how flooded it is. I think you look at Lego Dimensions, and that was a, their biggest competitor and how I think it was probably conquering them in terms of sales, Uh, it's a a smart move done by Disney Infinity.
1: Not only that, but, I mean, think about it. Disney's not really losing money on this deal. They've they've made their money already, but what this is doing is, I think you're right, I think they're seeing the the writing on the wall, and they're like, well, LEGO Dimensions is surpassing us, so before we start losing money, let's just get out of this entirely, and I think them getting out of gaming entirely tells me they're going to sit back, for a year, maybe two, find out where they're at, and then jump back in later on down the line.
2: Right, and, that, and that's the thing. You know, again, it's just it's, it's weird, but again, you look at what's happening, and that's why it's happening. But something that happened recently, James, actually it happened before we started re- recording this, Jimmy Kimmel has been a very good friend of the show in terms of helping us finding new things to talk about because he's the man of, like, if you have a trailer... Jimmy Kimmel's the guy who go release. Yes, yeah, suddenly he's your guy for some reason. Right. So you know, recently, of course, this week he released the Assassin's Creed trailer. Of course, for the movie starring Michael Fassbender, and I'm not gonna lie, dude, I the music, I I I don't get it. But the music is the one, the main reasons why I'm like, oh god, this movie's not gonna be working out at all. I I know it's
1: hard. I know it's hard because it's the first trailer. So I'm worried. I mean, I'm worried about a video game movie anyway. I don't care what it is. I'm always worried about it until I see it just because of the history of video game movies. I mean, go back to our video game movie show where we discussed it and you'll hear everything we have to say on that. But and you know me, I'm not usually one to nitpick on the music, but I heard it and I'm like, oh, man, you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to make it young and hip. Yeah. It feels like maybe they're trying to go away from what the true audience is intended for, and I I just hope that this was a trailer mistake.
2: And and not only that, but what worries me the most of all this, I mean, personally, all the action scenes look good, yes, but they're not good. The movie's not good if it doesn't have a good story. And the writers... Oh, my God. Bill College is one of the writers, and also the other writers is Adam Cooper. Here's some stuff they've worked on. Okay, you ready?
1: I don't know Of, ki- am. <laughs> of Kings
2: and Prophets, which lasted one episode until it got canceled. Well done. Allegiant, which wasn't going to do well at the box office. Mm-hmm. The Transporter Refueled, Exodus, Gods and Kings, and Tower Heist. are just some of them.
1: You just said The Transporter Refueled. That's all you need to know. It's not Transporter 1, not Transporter 2. No, it's Transporter Refueled.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. uh, This scares me a lot. I know that we have to see this movie, but...
1: uh, All I'm I'm thinking is Michael Fassbender, we know how talented he is. Right,
2: right. And that's the thing. And that's really the thing. And, And what's the one thing that's been the Achilles heel in terms of Uh, In terms of people, in terms of people who write the movies, also direct them, and even act in them, we want people who are fans of this stuff, and who are true gamers, and that's what gets lost, and listen, I understand that Justin Kurzel, the director, also directed the Macbeth version where, the movie version of Macbeth, where Fassbender was the lead role in this, I understand that, but that wasn't a good movie either, Listen, studios, if you plan on adapting a video game to a movie, get people who are legit fans of this. Don't get people who come in and say, oh, I was never really a fan, but then as soon as I got the role or I signed on, I started playing the games and everything else. No! You want to be a part of this because you're, from the start, intrigued and want to go in knowing what you know, What happens It goes into this, you know?
1: Right. I mean, I think fa- I am not worried about Fastbender at all. I think he pulls off this role perfectly. And I think, and, and yeah, let's admit it. it. It looks visually striking. The action scenes are there. The Spanish Inquisition looks like that's going to be an amazing story that they're going to be able to adapt. So they have plenty of opportunities here to give us a good movie. But what I hope they don't do... Is try to and I'm not saying it should be fan service because I know we don't we kind of hate that too. But what I don't want them to do is completely discount the fans of the games to draw in people who aren't fans of the games.
2: Well, I think that when you talk about fan service, that last shot of him jumping off that long tower and it's like, oh, it's gonna be the hail bay thing, <laughs> you know the the, the hail trust ball, Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, you, you had
1: to see but that. But again, You've just had the music.
2: But again, just from the music and my other fear in this as well is Assassin's Creed, of course, is something that takes place in two different eras. It takes place, of course, in the modern era and, of course, in the, the, the past. I really hope that one doesn't bog down the other. Preferably, I hope that the future, pat, the future part doesn't bog down the Spanish Inquisition part. I, exactly I really hope so.
1: I see exactly what you're saying, because there's a danger of spending more time in one era than in the other. I hope they don't waste too much time on the, okay, here's why everything is happening. Here's how it got set up. I need. I know you need to do somewhat of an origin, because you can't completely discount people that haven't seen the movie. But again, one of my criticisms I mentioned earlier about Civil War was it was such a slow starter. Don't make this movie a slow starter because you're bogging it down too much in why everything is occurring.
2: Right, and, and also my main fear is too is – and this is something you can get caught in in terms of writing, also in terms of shooting. This is just from a, you know, somebody, from a movie's perspective. When you have a movie that deals with two different time periods, it's really easy to have a very pulling, successful scene and have it ended by having them go to another era, like immediately era, after, right. you know? And it, it, so that's why I'm worried about this. There's just a multitude of reasons. I want it to be good, but there's a lot of things in it that I'm looking at and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so fearful of this.
1: And I mean, it, it's a shame because, let's face it, can we agree that video game movies are probably the most dangerous movies of any of them as far as them not being good? Isn't that the most risky property to do? Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah. That and, well, that and of course Warcraft, because Warcraft has such a huge following. And honestly, here, this is my, my main thing to so bring Warcraft into this really quick. If Warcraft turns out to be not a good movie, or just a very meh movie. If Warcraft can't be turned to a great movie, nothing in video we games can be stop. turned to a great movie. Yeah, yeah, we need
1: to stop, if that's the case. Like, we, we talk about this all the time off the air, and I think we mentioned our video game movie show. The way video games are written now, and presented now, and how graphically striking oh, yeah. they are on next-gen consoles, we don't necessarily even need video game movies it's just, anymore.
2: It's just like when, well, for example, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, in the intro, how I, I got Uncharted, and I was playing Uncharted, and I'm like... People say, oh, well, remember there was that Uncharted movie with Mark Wahlberg that might be happening still. I'm like, why? The entire series plays out as a fantastic four-part movie.
1: Right. Not only that, I mean, think about it. Batman Arkham Asylum is one of the best Batman movies we never got. Yeah. Because it was such an amazing story.
2: And even Arkham City, because there was a big twist at the end yeah. of Arkham City where I'm like, wow. Wow. This really is, is gripping, but again, we'll see how Assassin's Creed fares in theaters, and we'll, we're still debating if we're going to go see it or not, but that's going to do it for Neuro News. Coming up next, we're being invaded by another inhuman on the show, and this time, of course, it's Daisy from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's right, Chloe Bennett is to be coming on to talk to us about the upcoming finale that's going to be airing next Tuesday, so stay tuned. Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Come coming up next right here on the Down Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Jeff Lemire, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: One show that's definitely stepped up its game this season is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and We can't wait for the finale, May the 17th at 9 p.m. Two, a big two-hour finale on ABC, and we're so excited to have Sky slash Daisy on the show this week. It's Chloe Bennett. Chloe, how are you doing today?
0: Yeah, I'm good. I'm really good. This is exciting. Don't forget that my my, my pre-Sky name was Mary Sue Poots. Oh, that's so right. So I prefer Mary <laughs> <laughs> poots <laughs> that's so actually this morning, what I
1: like to be called this morning we have the poots and there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> oh, thank nothing you that. <laughs> for the win for the win <laughs> so Chloe we wanted to say you know one of the unique things about your character is that since the start of the show Daisy's really evolved not just emotionally but physiologically so what's that evolution from Sky the Hacker to the agent to Daisy kind of been like
0: it's been really crazy, you know, when I think about the character that I auditioned for um, when I first went out for the show, and then the character that I'm playing now, I feel like she's just a completely, I mean, she's literally a different person. Her genetic makeup is different, her blood's different, her name is different. Um, so she, it really feels like I'm playing, I think she would handle different situations so differently at this point in her life. Um, she's obviously been through a lot, her, you know, when your dad tries to, like becomes a monster and your mom tries to kill you. And then your dad kills your mom in front of you. There's a lot that happens mentally. I think that you have to uh, deal with afterwards. It's been incredible. It's, it's darker than I I thought it was going to be. I find myself, you know, especially coming up these episodes coming up in the finale, it's really, really heavy and it's really sad. So it's been a lot of, um, I've been a joy to be around while shooting that's for sure and that's sarcasm 100 percent, because it's 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 a lot it's it's um it's really heavy there's a lot of fighting and there's a lot of emotional work so we're on a hiatus now so I'm definitely excited to like have a a little bit of a a break to step away and remind myself that I'm not in the uh uh, Marvel universe that I am not Daisy Johnson we shoot for 10 months out of the year so you just kind of you just kind of forget that you're not living in the Marvel Universe, you know? Oh, yeah. You, 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 <laughs> you, you, spend, you spend so much time with these characters, you get so attached to them. And obviously, you know, for the past couple of weeks, we've been teasing a fallen agent and um, someone, someone does, uh, Daisy has a vision of someone on the team dying. And uh, it's pretty heartbreaking.
2: And I love that you mentioned just how dark the season has been so far, especially these last few episodes, because since being infested by Hive, we've seen Daisy become more unchained and just brutal when it comes to how she uses her powers, you know, from bringing down the shield base to her beatdown with Mac, which literally, Chloe almost had me in tears, That's that scene between Daisy and Mac. So what has it been like for you personally to show that side of her, while at the same time knowing you're also revealing the various depths of her powers? When Henry and I shot that scene, we both actually
0: just started crying. I mean, like I well, I was I was getting really emotional Aww. while doing it because I I as as Daisy, you know, felt like you know it's it's weird being under sway because it's like being roof it's like it's like being inhuman roofied in a way you know you're under <laughs> drugs without you. Without you knowing, but you're on it and you love it because it's like, you know, it's like a heroine where it's great when it's on it, but it's not, it's not your, you weren't put under it by choice. So she, she thinks that what she's feeling is, is totally valid. But I think when I was playing that scene, there was clearly something inside, deep inside of me that didn't, uh, didn't feel like that was right. Like physically, I almost was like revolting against even, you know, doing what I was doing while I was, you know, beating him up. Um so I started crying while doing it, and then Henry started tearing up, and then, like after we cut, we both were like <laughs> like we couldn't stop crying for a second, which was uh' <laughs> cause it was pretty emotional for us like we had our it was a it was a it was a long night also that fight sequence was like added literally right before we did it. So I'm like already emotional and like everything's like, okay, so we're going to add a fight sequence now. So you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And so it was was pretty technical and technical emotional stuff is definitely the hardest to film. So that was not easy
1: <laughs> wow that's incredible as a matter of fact everything that's happened between your character and brett dalton's character of hive on the show as a fan when i'm watching it it definitely felt odd seeing them like that again given everything that's happened so did you kind of feel the same way when you guys were shooting together again
0: it was so weird it was so weird yeah it was because i hadn't worked with brett for a really long time you know i Said all the time and socially we're neighbors so I see him all the time anyway um but working with him I hadn't worked with him for a long time and especially the 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 tone of those scenes at in the beginning you know when where I'm on like that hilltop and uh we're having that conversation and my I put my head on the shoulder, it's so creepy to me and I have to I had to keep reminding myself that I'm on you know I'm I'm under the influence of drugs but it's it was. It was definitely the most challenging part. Being under sway is the most challenging part to play of this whole entire series. I, 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 feel, because you're under. You're, you're under the influence of drugs. Like your brain is. It's like it's being drugged. So like understanding why you're doing things was really hard. I'm like, but well, why am I doing this and this? Always the answer was always like, well, you're under sway. And sometimes that never felt. Didn't feel like it was enough for what I ended up doing, which was you know, trying to kill Fitz and Mac. I think, again, it goes back to the the, the idea that I get so attached to who I'm playing because I play Daisy for... I probably am Daisy more than I'm Chloe. So I'm like, no, she wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. And they're like, it's not you.
1: And they, Talk yourself that's down.
0: Have do. Exactly.
2: We're, of course, talking with Chloe Bennett from Marvel's Agents of the S.H.I.E.L.D. Again, the season finale airs May 17th, the big two-hour finale special, at 9 p.m. Eastern on ABC. So, Chloe, someone who has been on edge since Daisy left S.H.I.E.L.D. has been persuaded is Lincoln, and that's causing to become a detriment to the team, of course. And uh, In what ways will we see the relationship just present huge dangers, not only for them, but for both factions heading into the finale? The writers have done a really great job
0: at um, kind of we can't really get on the same page. I feel bad. Of course, like, of course they can't just be happy and in a relationship. We're just trying to get on, you know, the same page. And uh, I I think it's definitely going to cause a lot of drama coming up. um, But every single person is affected in a huge way by the finale. And it just doesn't get, God, it's, it's, I can't even talk about it. Can't even talk about it. (laughs) It's so sad.
1: (laughs) But, I mean, that that kind of leads into my next question because you touched on this earlier that we know someone from S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to die in the finale. So without spoiling anything, how is this going to rock the foundation of what the team is now coming up in the next season, Season 4?
0: The show will never be the same again. I mean, it, it'll be... I think it'll be a completely different... Like, it, I think the tone... I think they've really... Made a, it um, How do I say this without giving anything away? <laughs> <A big day. laughs> it's going to change the show for good. Not for good, but like forever, and it'll never be the same. I, I don't think the show will ever be the same at all ever again. Everyone talks about the big moment of our show being Ward, you know, turning Hydra, but the end, the series finale, is definitely the biggest. Turning point our show's ever
2: had. Wow! Ever. I and, and I like that you mentioned, like you know, taking big steps. You know, something that's a big step in just adulthood is, of course, buying property and buying land. Of course, as we all know, Hive has bought in his own town where he and his army of Inhumans live. So, here's a question for you: If you could own and operate a business in that town, what would it be and why? Oh God!
0: Ooh, this is a fun question. I'd probably own a bakery. <laughs> um, what would it be called? Because I love cake. <laughs> oh, it could be a cute little name. It could be like, uh, well, that's not really original. I'd be, oh, oh, a quakery. Oh <laughs> yes, yes, killing it, on it, yes. So um, yeah, it would be called the quakery, right? Like that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and we have, you know, cake. It'd be so fun. Uh, Axel, who plays James, would definitely be. The
1: bar owner. We know it's going to definitely be an emotionally packed season finale with everything that's going on. We're just so excited for it. It's going to be coming up on May the 17th at 9 p.m. A two-hour finale on ABC. We're so excited to have you on this week. It's Chloe Bennett. Find me
0: at the Quakery.
1: Yes. Where I'll be selling
0: my cakes.
1: (laughs) Soon to be in a retail store near you. We're so yeah. excited So excited to have Chloe Bennett on the show this week. Chloe, thank you so much for talking to us.
2: Well, James, you know, there's a lot of comic book conventions out there. But I wonder if Hive will ever have his own comic book conventions, and I wonder if he'll be sponsored by the Quakery.
1: I think that would be a great idea. I mean, it would be a little parasitic, but... Uh... <laughs> You no, know, other than that, I think it would be pretty good. He certainly wouldn't have any trouble keeping people inside, that's for sure. That's that's
2: for sure. And if you ever got uh you know hungry, he can just feed off the people that have gone there. <laughs> there you go. Or, or 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 Chloe Bennett's amazing cakes. And uh you know, I, I think that, you know, it was really, really fun to talk to Chloe Bennett, of course, about the season finale of Agents of Shield, which of course airs next week, May seventeenth. And I mean it was really, really fun just to, to talk to her about just the, the the progression of Daisy, and just as you you know, what, as you talked about, you know, with her going from being a hacker known as Sky to Daisy, and you know, and and, and just the levels that she's going to where she's showcasing her powers in various depths and forms each week. And you're like, oh, oh, she's she's very powerful, and she's not to be messed with.
1: Yeah, not only that, but I mean, other than Brett Dalton. Whose character has gone through more of a change right? than hers? I mean, you could argue Coulson, but I mean, everything that she's been through and having to, you know, question her loyalties at times, seems like every year she's having to question, you know, what side she should be on? And I, that's got to wear on her. But to know that she is so in tune with Daisy when she's playing her that, you know, she actually feels those emotions while it's going on. And even after the fact, like, no, that's not me. She wouldn't do that kind of thing. I love that. I love that. She's, she basically, it, she said she's Daisy more than she's Chloe, right, which, right. is, which is kind of sad for her a little bit. I'm sure. But at the same time, it's like, she just dives right into it. And I just, I so appreciate that as a, as a fan, you know?
2: Oh yeah, And what I love too is when she says, like you know, like her and, and Brett, you know, it was like oh, we're really good friends and everything else. But then she's like, well, when, but when we're working together, she's like, I'm really kind of creeped out by him. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, and that just shows just how great of an actor he is and just how great of an actor she is. Where she's like, oh my god, I'm I'm feeling this this wave coming off of him, and I'm and it's affecting me, and I'm and she, it, again, just if you you know, for someone who's been watching the show. Just seeing that kind of like her emotional state, and just see how she's kind of like wants to prove herself, and just has this this mentality. It's just fantastic.
1: Now, it's got to be an interesting walk down to the down the driveway to get the newspaper, right? You look right. over, and you're like, is it, he's Brett, right? Not Hive, okay. Right, I'll just, right. I'm just gonna pick this up and go back inside now. Howdy, neighbor, because just <laughs> they were neighbors. But no, I mean it was great, and and really, I mean this show has stepped up its game so much in this season and what they've been able to put together and the way it's evolved throughout the season. I really do believe this has been the best season of agents of shield yet.
2: And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Donnery podcast. And thank you to our friends over at Marvel studios for helping us hook this up. And It's been a pleasure and an honor to talk to Chloe Bennett from agents of shield. And of course, May 17th, major two hour event season finale. You got to watch it. It's going to be very impactful. It's going to change the way things go Heading into season four. And hey, if you want more of us on social media, hey, be sure to hit us up on facebook.com slash nerdy We're also on Twitter at downerdy757. I'm at Merkle One Arm. And hey, Chloe Bennett is at Chloe Bennett 4 on Twitter as well. Go, James.
1: And that's with one T on Bennett, by the way. Just keep yes. that in mind. Also, I'm at James Ace Witham. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. She's on Instagram. Find us on Instagram at nerdy 757 as well. But all that info, at least on our end anyway, on down dot That's
2: gonna do it for us. I leave it with the same words I do every week, everybody. Press safe comic book reading, always bag and board your comics, and I'll see you at the Quakery.